while I was preparing for this morning, I just kept um, coming back to Warren's message that he shared. Um, I can't get it out of my head. And then what Barry shared last week, just of how like we have this amazing, amazing grace from our Father. And when Barry shared last week, just the very simple message of like what the gospel actually is. And that the gospel is supposed to be good news, right? Like, that's what it means. It's not supposed to be condemnation. It's not supposed to be oppressive. It's not supposed to be, now you have to do all these things and be a certain way. And it doesn't at all take away from what Stephen just shared. Like, there are things that God has given us instruction in, and he does that for our own protection. He does that because he wants what's best for us. And so he gives us these commands um, for our own sake. So it's not taking away from that, but it's supposed to be good news. It's supposed to mean that we have freedom, not freedom to do whatever we want because God knows where that leads, but freedom from sin, that we actually don't anymore have to be under this curse of sin. Sin doesn't have that hold on us anymore, and we don't have to pay the price that sin requires because that's death. And we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus has already paid that price. So it's freedom. And freedom, like um, Barry mentioned last week, it doesn't mean, um, like Paul says, it doesn't mean like, shall I then go on sinning so that grace can abound? No, it means that we have this freedom and we get to live in that freedom. I want to share kind of a weird story with you guys. And I think maybe only like two people maybe know this story. So when I was a kid, I remember how old I was, um, but I was at friends of mine. We were super good friends and we were messing around as kids do. Um, And as Michelle knows, usually that ends in accidents. Um, And we were sitting on, they had quite a low fence. It was maybe like this high. And so we were sitting on um, the gate that joins the fence. But there was quite a big gap between the two sides of the gate that latched. And we thought it was a good idea to sit on the gate. I don't know why. Um, And so obviously it didn't hold. And I, being the clumsiest of the three, I was the one who fell off and smashed my face on the gate and broke my brand new, I think I'd had my big teeth for like two weeks, and I smashed them. So you can imagine my parents um, were not very impressed at now having to have my teeth fixed, especially because my older brother had done the same thing like a few months before in a different way, but he'd also smashed his teeth and had to have them fixed. And it just made me think, I was like, well, sitting on the fence never seems like a great idea, right? Okay, so we have this, this idea, and um, it's not always wrong, but if you go look up, like, what does it mean to sit on the fence? I went and Googled. I was like, it's not positive, right? It's a lack of decisiveness. Um, someone who lacks the courage to decide what side they're going to be on. Um, you're unable or unwilling to commit yourself to something. And that's this idea that we have of, of what sitting on the fence means, Right? And in one sense, that's biblical as well. Like um, in Matthew 12, 30, it says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's this very clear distinction of you either with God or you're against God. Um, And even in Revelation 3, it says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And so we have this very solid idea that sitting on the fence is never a great idea. But we're really good at taking things out of context. And 
I'm going to challenge you today to please sit on the fence. <laughs> can go argue with Barry later about me being controversial. Um, so why I say this is we live in a world that is constantly forcing us, everybody, but especially Christians, to make a decision whether you are for or against something, right? You are constantly asked that question, um, are you for this or you're against this? Are you anti or are you pro? And I can, I can just say like five words. Israel, right? COVID, vaccines, tattoos, divorce, politics. Okay, every single one of those things is something that I, and I'm sure most of you, at some point have been asked to make a judgment call on. So are you for it or are you against it? Is this right or is this wrong? And as Christians, I think because people, well, people should know what we believe, and that we believe, you know, we believe the gospel, we believe this good news. So we get asked that question. And if you grew up in Christian circles, um, you know, like maybe went to youth as a kid, like I did, then the famous question was always, as a teenager, how far is too far, right? You want that decisive, this is okay, but this is not. You've got to make a decision. And so we are pushed constantly to make this decision. Where do you stand on something? Now, Yeah, like you're forced to pick a side because we want instant judgments, right? We don't want people to sit on the fence. We're like, no, you don't get to be neutral. You don't get to not have an opinion on this. You must decide now. Doesn't matter if you don't have all the evidence. Doesn't matter if you can see both sides. You are expected to make a decision. And there's a few reasons, I think, why we do this. I think firstly, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, I think we really like to judge people. I think it's so part of our sinful nature. And like Barry said, it's so difficult to accept God's grace because it's so big and it's so all-consuming and so covering of everything that it's too much for us. So we're like, mm, okay, yeah, but that is still not okay. You still can't do that, but you can't do this and you can't do that. And like I said, it doesn't mean that there aren't things that God very clearly says are wrong. I'm not taking away from that. But we very much like to be the ones that cast that judgment on other people. Because instead of focusing on accepting God's grace for us and working, like reading through the scriptures, working to get to a place where that is a conviction for you that you're like, yes, I know that his grace covers everything. Sometimes it's easier to just be like, okay, but let me just judge this person for this because then I feel better about myself. And I am very guilty of this. I have struggled with this my whole life um, because if I look at what I've done, I'm like, no, surely God can't forgive all of this. And so then it becomes easier to be like, okay, but you know what? I'm doing the right thing now and I'm making good decisions, as Andrew would always tell me, make good life choices. I'm making good life choices now, but that person's not, so I'm kind of okay. So we like to judge people. We really do. And we also like to belong, right? Like so many of these issues, when you're picking a for or against, it's because we want to feel part of something. We want to we wanna feel included. We want to feel as though... I'm with this group of people who believe this thing and we all believe the same. And therefore, we also need an enemy. We need a, an opposing opinion, right? So like, even if it's sports teams, right? It's not fun if we're all supporting the same side. 
Okay, so we want to belong, we want to feel part of something. Um, and so this thing of being pro or anti something, we see it as being unifying. Like, okay, cool, well, we're all supporting the sharks. I get to say that because I'm preaching. Um, <laughs> or whatever it is. And so we do this. And it's not something that just happens to us, that people push this thing on us of you must make a judgment call, you must pick a side. Jesus was asked to do this so many times. If you read the scripture and you read the gospel, Jesus is constantly pushed to make, a ju- to make a judgment on things. He's constantly pushed to make a decision, say what's right or wrong. And if we go read it, we go, okay, cool. But most of the time it was the Pharisees who were asking him to do this, right? They're usually sitting there watching everything he's saying, trying to find a flaw, trying to see where he's going against what the law says. And so I grew up with this idea that like the Pharisees were really bad people. Okay, it's terrible. And if you read scriptures, like Jesus speaks against them and what they're doing many times. He says some really harsh things to them. I read a passage to Barry yesterday. It was like, well, I never imagined Jesus being someone who would say this stuff to somebody, but he did. So we have this idea of them being this terrible group of people, but they weren't who we would have considered bad people. They were the most strict observers of the law. They were the religious elite. And they were also the legal experts because the, the law, the religious law, was also the law of the country. And so they weren't people who you would have looked at and been like, you know, you're that person that just does everything wrong. No, they were people who were admired, who were respected for how perfectly they followed the letter of the law and pushed other people to do the same, right? And so these are the people who come and ask Jesus constantly, make a decision. We know what's right. We know the law backwards. We've been taught it since we were this big. And then they're like, but Jesus, what do you say? Because they're trying to catch him out, Right, And if you go look at what the word um, Pharisees actually means, it means one who is separated. Now again, we have this, and it's not wrong, but we, we speak often about how we are, we are supposed to be separate. God says that we are supposed to be set apart, right? But I think we miss set apart for what and because of what, right? We're not, it's good for us to be different, to have something that people look at our lives and they go like, there's something different about Michelle, right? Like the way she's handled things, something is, something is different. That's not the natural way you would expect somebody to handle these life circumstances. So there should be something that people look at and see that something is different. But our difference shouldn't be we're different because we're judgy. Our difference is supposed to be love. Our difference is supposed to be this person is different because they choose to love somebody who everyone else sees as unlovable. They choose to do the right thing even when it would be so much easier not to. That's supposed to be what sets us apart. And so Jesus like, speaks very harshly to them because they're, they're so focused on setting themselves apart, on saying we're on this side of the law. Jesus, you're on that side. You're going against the laws that say you can't work on the Sabbath because you're healing people on the Sabbath. And so all they wanted was to just cause this division of we are separate from people who sin. And I think we have to be very, very careful that we don't do that. Like Stephen said, we are in the world, but not of the world. 
But that means we're in the world. We can't be like, oh, I'm not going to speak to you because you don't believe what I believe or I don't like the choices that you're making. Because then we've missed the point. And so this thing of our love being what should separate us, Jesus gives this as his response one of these times when he is being questioned and the Pharisees are trying to trip him up. Um, So it's in Matthew 23, verse 36. And so, again, to try to trip him up, one of them asks, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They're trying to catch him out. Now, I think there are a lot of Christians, I've experienced in my life, a lot of Christians who will use the law and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's there for a reason. Yes, we're under grace, but you still need to follow this and this and this and this and this, right? You still can't have tattoos because this. You still can't do this because this. And I'm like, but Jesus is, when he's asked, what's the greatest command? So, okay, cool. If you're going to pick one, you're going to pick one of them because none of us can keep the law. We will all fall short every single time. So if you're going to do that and you're going to pick one, the one that Jesus says is the greatest, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so I'm like, if that's the greatest one, how can we try and use the law, the greatest of which is to love, to cause judgment on people who don't follow the rest of it like we think they should. And the thing is, Satan loves to divide us. Because if he can keep us distracted and divided and get us to fight about these issues that can seem really important in the moment, right? It can seem so important to get that person to, like, okay, but this issue, we've got to now fight. Like, we have to decide what's right in this situation. And sometimes there's not an answer And sometimes we don't know the answer. And God in his infinite wisdom knows the answer to all of those. But he also knows the nuances of every single situation that we can't even begin to understand. And so we need to be so careful that we don't allow Satan to come in and cause this division and cause this distraction. Because we're now arguing over whether this is okay or not. Or as a Christian, can we do this or can't we do this? We're missing the point. And I mean, the Bible speaks clearly about like Romans 2 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. But we like to forget about that when we're using the Bible as a weapon, not against the evil that we're supposed to, but against people whose opinions differ to ours. And often against Christians whose opinions differ to ours. And we forget that we're on the same side. And we we allow ourselves to become distracted and divided by fighting over these things when actually we have a common enemy. We don't need to make enemies of each other. And um, then also in Ephesians 2 verse 14 to 16, um, it's speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, And so it says, for he himself is our peace, speaking about Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So these two groups who, they were both believers, right? It wasn't like it was 
You know, it was groups who were arguing about what, to what level. They were arguing about circumcision. Is, do we need to now do this? Do we need to not do this? What part of the law must we keep? What part of the law mustn't we keep? And the response is that that dividing wall should be destroyed. There shouldn't be this barrier between us and taking these little things and using them to now judge one another. And so I'm going to ask you, don't sit on the fence. Take it down. Get rid of the fence. Because we're so focused on this fence of division and what you believe and what I believe that we miss the point over and over and over again. And now, Jesus, I'm going to read you guys a quote. I love this quote. I'm reading this book. And so, yeah, it speaks about how, um, you know, Jesus is bringing this peace. He himself is our peace. He's taken down that dividing wall. But if you read the rest of the scripture, listen to this. After all the nonsense that is repeated about Jesus being a gentle peacekeeper, reading the Gospels is really quite a shock. We discover a Jesus who is, in fact, frequently embroiled in conflict, most of which he provokes himself, like healing on the Sabbath. And every single one of these clashes is with very religious people. Not one hostile encounter involves a pagan, not until the very end, at least, when the Roman troopers get hold of him. But he was handed over by the religious establishment. Right? And so we like, I like that. We read that and we like... Yes, Jesus did cause controversy because he was so outspoken against the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were seen as being the top of the top, those who had it all together. Jesus flipping tables, we love that too. I love that. Why? Because I feel like it gives me an excuse to be like, okay, cool, but sometimes we can fight stuff, right? Sometimes we can flip tables, but we miss the part that Jesus is perfect. And I know that if I'm going to choose to be like, okay, this one, I'm going to fight this one. Chances are there's no way I have a full understanding of it. Jesus did. And so we don't need to go looking for conflict. We don't need to go looking for controversial topics to involve ourselves in, to now fight and take a side and prove our points because it somehow makes us feel better. Jesus didn't go around doing that. He challenged the religious standard that was oppressing people and he replaced it with love. He didn't go in and place another oppression on them and be like, okay, cool, but you need to follow this law. He did exactly the opposite. And so we, if Jesus didn't even do it, who are we to try and put that onto other people when we are supposed to be bringing them good news? We're supposed to be coming with love and freedom and sharing this good news that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough. We just need to believe that Jesus has already done it for us. And so Jesus not only took down this wall of division between Jews and Gentiles, he tore that veil, right? That veil in the temple when Jesus died split from top to bottom. Sacrilege, right? That's what the people thought because that was the religious standard that they'd followed. You can't have this closeness with God. You're not worthy, and Jesus comes and he splits that veil down the middle and he says, I have done it. And he was willing to do things that went against what people thought was religiously acceptable, but never with condemnation. And the people that he spoke so harshly against were those religious leaders who were oppressing other people. 
it wasn't the everyday people that he encountered as he was walking the streets and spending time with people and talking to them. And yes, he did tell them when he saw sin in their lives, he did tell them, stop doing this, leave this, but never with condemnation and judgment, always with love, bringing good news, saying, you don't have to live under this anymore. You don't have to be a slave to this. And so I guess my, my question to us is, can we please stop picking sides? Can we stop looking for conflict where we don't need to? Because we allow ourselves to become so distracted by that and so entangled in Satan's web of, okay, yeah, but they said this and they used this tone of voice and they, it doesn't matter. And so I want to encourage you the next time that you feel yourself getting dragged into one of those arguments of like, okay, but is it this or is it this? How about you sit down instead and you both pray for that group of people? right? Like someone has a disagreement with you about Israel, right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Which side? How must we make that call? We're not God. Sit down and pray for both sides. Pray for everybody. Pray for all the innocent people who are involved. Look for the the way to love in the situation instead of the way to cause division. We're going to take communion. Lord God Almighty, you are our Lord, our God, our Father. Lord, we put our trust in you always. And Lord, we put our trust in you with all of these decisions. And all of these judgment calls that we are called to make in society and to pick a side, Lord. Lord, we pick your side. We choose you and we ask you, Lord, to help us to love both sides well when they call for it. Lord, you know that your blood covers all of our sins, Lord, and all of the sins of our neighbor and of those across the oceans in all the warring countries, Lord, we thank you that your blood is enough for every single person on this earth. Lord, help us to have that same grace and love for our enemies like you, that you call us to and that you showed us. Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you for what you've done on the cross so that we know that we can love our enemies even in times of turmoil and hurt and pain. Jesus Christ, thank you for your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken for us to set us free from that from that consequence of the law that we can live under your grace. Help us to show that same love to others. Amen.